Hello, everybody. Hello, masters of your own destiny. Welcome back to my basement. I'm Francisco Suarez, your host, and this is from Suarez Basement. Thank you so much for your company. Seriously, it's thanks to your company that to know that you're listening to us, that we put the effort to create good quality podcasts just for you. And of course, we couldn't do this without the help and the trust of WCNY PBS in Central New York. Thanks to that partnership, we can come to you every other week. So WCNY, thank you truly for your partnership. And I want to remind you, you can go to fsbaseman.com where you can listen to all our past episodes, watch our past episodes. We have the audio and the video files there. And of course, a lot of cool other features that you can find only in our website. And please, if you like what you see and you go to our YouTube channel or you follow us through other audio channels like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our channel. Your subscription only means that you love what you hear and that you want to keep in touch with us and become part of our family. It means the world to us. I'm talking about a new member of our family, a new member of the list of amazing experts that we have in Francois' basement. Today, we have Dennis Lahen with us. He is an author, novelist, but also a fantastic script writing and showrunner of one of my new favorite TV shows in Apple TV, Blackbird. He wrote the novel and then uh, the memoir of the Blackbird, and then that become a script writing where it was actually translated for television by him. Uh, in Apple TV. It's a fantastic show. Again, he's a novelist. He uh, wrote a Mystic River that also became a movie in some point. So talking about having somebody who knows about creative writing as a novelist, he knows about script writing because of the TV show he had been able to bring to life. And he's a showrunner. So we're going to touch all of these components that he can bring to the table today in this new episode of Francois Basement. Thank you for tuning in. Let's start again Francois Basement, this new episode with Dennis Lahen right away. Here we go. I want to thank you and start this conversation with a huge thank you for all the students that are listening to us here in Francois Basement uh, to take the time to be with us here in, in my basement. Okay, happy to do it. <laughs> no, thank you so much. Dennis, let's let's start from the beginning. I always start these conversations with a little bit of going back in time. Do you remember when did you start getting the the love for script writing, for writing in general? Do you remember that time? How old were you and, and what was that caught your attention about writing? Um, I, I think I started, you know, I started doing it when I was eight. I remember that. Uh, and it was, it was probably just emulation, you know, it was, um, I read, so I wrote, or I watched, I loved, uh, movies and TV. So I wrote, you know, I wasn't trying, I, I didn't write scripts until gosh, my late twenties, maybe. Um, but, um, then and then it just sort of drifted away. I forgot about it for many years. And then, and then when I was in high school, I had this great teacher who, junior year in high school, who had us all do a short story, write a short story. And that's when I first heard, write what you know. That's when I first heard, 
a writer never explains. That's, you know, that's when I first heard a lot of the things that become sort of foundational. And um, I wrote this story and he, he was, a uh, was a really kind uh, Jesuit priest, but he wasn't, he wasn't given a hyperbole. And he took me aside, I think a couple of weeks later. And he said, you know, you, you're very good at this and you, you, you might want to think about it. And then the next year, I had a tyrant of a teacher. I had a really just a nightmare of a teacher. It was uh, the smartest guy I've ever studied under. And he never gave praise. And right at the end of my senior year of high school, he said, um, you may want to consider writing. And it, it was like hearing a thunderclap, you know. Mm -hmm. So those those I think were the uh and then i i majored i i took a couple of safety majors uh two different schools i dropped out of both of them and then realized at the time i was 20 which was a great realization i just realized i wasn't good at anything else there was nothing else i was good at there was nothing else i was interested in and that relieves a lot of pressure mm -hmm. i mean you just it's just like look it's it's writing or bust and i was fully prepared for bust mm -hmm. but but I, I knew from that point on, that was where my focus was 100%. And I will say that's the one thing that everybody to this day still remembers it about me in undergrad and grad school is that I had this singular focus on writing. And, and you mentioned that's that's awesome because, again, I'm a professor. I teach script writing for television, which is one of my favorite subjects. Uh -huh. uh, due to the diversity of stories I, I'm able to read. Um, and, you know, you, you can recognize in class sometimes uh, uh, these students where you finally say, wow, this this is good. This is good plot, good character yeah. development. What do you look when you say, well, I was good in this. I, I was good in writing, telling stories. So if, let's say you were teaching a class, uh, what would you recognize as a good writer? Like what is that you're looking for when you say, hmm, this is good writing? I I know it's quite a difficult question in the sense that No, no, you know, I mean I think there's I think is there a good sense of detail? God is in the details, you know. Is there is there is there a sense of of that? Is there some depth, I think, in the characters or in the ideas or uh maybe in the construction of the story, but there has to be something. It, what I had from the very beginning, which I don't think is, would be a shock to anybody, is I had dialogue. That's what I had. So even when I first started turning in stories in college, they were almost all dialogue. They were like early Hemingway, early Carver. I mean, they were really stripped down because I didn't know how to do the other things yet. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to write lyrically. I didn't know how to stop the action to describe the scene. So I kept it real minimal. He said, she said, they sat on a bench and the dialogue would take over. Um, there, I feel like you have to have one thing, one thing, whether it's an incredible gift for language, whether it's a, an ear dialogue, whether it's like we were talking about depth, you could, you could be a clunky writer, you know, Solzhenitsyn's a kind of a clunky writer, but you know when he starts writing about the gulag, you know it, it changes. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a there's a depth to it. So, uh, what is your gift? And I think 
you know, some writers probably came out of the box with four gifts, but mm. a lot of us just came out with one. And then, but you gotta have one. If, I mean, that's the one thing you don't want to see in a writing class is when you just see something where you go, there's nothing here. There's nothing I mean, here, right. there's nothing to build on, you know, like I, I need to be able to build on one thing. You know, you do this really well. And then you get the superstars where, you know, I've taught them, you know, it, it's, you get the students who you just go, pretty much all I got to do is stay out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they'll, they'll find their way. I, I, but I think it is very interesting what you say, uh, uh, this, this depth of concepts, right? Uh, one of the things that we we establish in my classes, and I'm sure many other people who's teaching script writing or, or creative writing, is age, right? Uh, when you are 18, 19, it's sometimes very difficult to find that that connection to go deep into your characters and your stories. And right. it, it is very important, and I say this to my students, you have to put yourself in the story. It doesn't matter if you're writing about a 52 years old man and you're only 20, some kind of relation need to have between who you are as a person and that character, because if not, that character is going to be quite flat. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think the most misunderstood piece of advice for writing is write what you know. It doesn't mean if you're from a, from a family of dry cleaners in Duluth, that you have to write about a bunch of dry, dry cleaners in Duluth. Mm-hmm. It, it means that, Right, what you know is by the time we're 18, most of the important emotional or psychological things in our life, at least one example of them, has happened. You've had your heart broken. You may have broken a heart. You've been betrayed. You've understood humility. You've understood that pride goeth before the fall. You've you've understood all these grand, you know, all these all these archetypal concepts, right? Emotional truths. That's what you're supposed to be writing about. Emotional truth. And at 18, you can project, let's say you're doing that older person. Well, I would start with, I don't know why, but the first place I'd go is loneliness. Mm-hmm. Okay, we all know what loneliness at that age. I mean, at, at, at even at 18, you know what it feels to be lonely. What's it feel like to be lonely at 65 when you're facing down the back end of your life? I mean, that's the way you kind of start to crawl into people. Yeah, so. I, I, I I couldn't agree for, for with you more than that. And, and I always like to ask these questions, uh, experts like you. I mean, you, you your curriculum of writing is fantastic. Of course, we're going to talk about some of your novels and TV shows. Um, in your opinion, should writers develop character first and then the plot follow or is uh these two process more or less parallel i mean they, they develop no at the i, same I don't time. know that there's i don't know that there's any one answer mm-hmm. it's it's what what is i i often think of writing as as laying down coats of paint you know you lay down your primer you lay down your first coat you lay down your second coat that could be because i usually do three drafts i'm a three draft guy so, but I see it as layers. So I'll be writing along and I'll be like, today, I just need to lay down this piece of pipe in terms of plot. I'll get to the character stuff later. But the vast majority of times, it's the other way around for me. Mm-hmm. It's all character. And then I start to say, oh, you should probably have a plot going on somewhere here. Right. And I try to figure that out. But it's different for everybody. I don't, 
I don't believe in hard and fast rules about writing, except you got to read, you have to. And um, your writing should be true. I mean, it should be in the, in the sense it should be authentic. It should be saying something authentic about, you know, human emotional truths. So beyond that, I hear a lot of people say, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. I, you know, fuck off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, <laughs> I'm sorry, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but a lot of times it's just like, really? Do you, is that a law? Because mm-hmm. I can point out five other pieces of work that I like that did do that. Right, right. And it worked, you know? Well, um, so it's a very personal choice. I mean, is exactly what is the process of writing? What I'm saying is, I don't know what is your uh, process when you start a new project. Do you write every day or you force yourself to write every day for, let's say, 45 minutes? Are you the type of writer that say, no, I'm going to wait until, I don't know, two in the morning, something like I click something. I can't and come do that down. anymore. <laughs> exactly. I can't do that so anymore. Uh, what, what is that discipline, I guess, when you start a new project to say, I, I need to, of course, I have a deadline to finish. How, how do you write? I, I, uh, at this point, I just write however I write. I, you know, but but starting out, and for many years, and when I was trying to write books, you know, write novels and get them in on deadlines, you have to write every day. It's insane not to. I mean, it's insane because it's a muscle, and if you're not keeping it in shape, it atrophies, and then you got to scrape off all the crap and all the rust and build it again. And if you're doing it every day. You get to the point where your facility, you're in great shape. You can run a marathon. You're in great shape. Your facility with language is hip top mm-hmm. because you're doing it all the time. So I, I just came off a run in which I can't remember the last time I didn't write. And then this summer, because we've had the strike, we've had the writer's strike, and then because I elected to address a surgery that I needed to do. I haven't written now in almost a month. And and I can feel it. I can feel the muscle just mm. getting weak. Mm. And and we're talking coming off time in which I was writing, you know, I wrote a novel in the middle of making a television show. I, I was on burning, I was, I was hitting on every single cylinder you could hit on. And I knew that part of that was because I was just doing it all the time, all the time, all the time. It wasn't hard. Mm. It gets very easy the more you do it. And, and I'm taking advantage. I'm talking with somebody who know very well both business. I mean, you are a novelist by heart. You have many books uh, that become, in some point, TV shows or films. Um, one of the things I noticed or I tried to to make students understand is when you're writing a script that real estate is very precious, right? So you cannot feel like you're writing a novel. What I'm saying is, no. I, right, I get some I get some scripts, very beautiful, well-written, but they are those scene descriptions are way too long. So what do you think is that balance between somebody who knows how to write a novel and suddenly say, well, now I'm writing a script. What is the difference between those two, two types of writing? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. It took me, you know, I started my screenwriting career on the wire and I had written by that point. I had written some of my most famous novels. I'd written Mystic River by that point. I'd written Shutter Island by that point. And, and I walked in that room and I remember 
walking in with this is one of the best abilities I have. Mm-hmm. I walked in the room and I said, put your ego in a drawer because you don't know anything. You do not know anything about this art form. You know how to write a novel. This is how to write a television show. And and totally different skill set, completely different. And the single most important thing is what you touched on, which is film, and by film, I mean television film, mm-hmm. is a visual medium. It means that there's not, that, that what a person does on screen and what you see on screen is far more important than what a person says. So that removes a lot of your novelist's um, mm-hmm. powers. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. Who cares what? How beautifully you describe the scene? Nobody cares because that's not what the point of it is. The point of it is you're trying to give direction. You're you're writing a blueprint essentially, and that blueprint is going to be used and passed around by about 220 people by the time this production is over, and that thing that you're writing about the the room that's for the art department that's for the production designer that might be for the dp mm-hmm. that might be for the actors to get a sense of the room but for the most part it's for the art department and props and and again the production design that's it you're just leaving them a blueprint so i say less is more like mm-hmm. it's little i'm an extremely minimal screenwriter I, I interior room day. Like I just wrote, I just wrote a scene. I, I, I did write a little something this morning. I forgot. I was thinking about something, but it was something that I just scribbled to myself or something way down the road. Maybe who knows, but I just wrote exterior street day mm-hmm. university vibe. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's all it says university vibe. Like mm-hmm. it's a street in a college town. I, you know, if you go into a paragraph, if you Tennessee, Tennessee Williams wrote the greatest set description of anybody. I mean, that's, it was incredible. Read the set description in the Glass Menagerie. It's astonishing. Mm. But you don't need it for a screenplay. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. It is a balance. I, I actually just uh, read some uh, scenes that my students read for an uh, exercise we did. And actually, some of them say, "Wow, this is actually beautiful, well written. Like your descriptions and your capacity to put me there." But you need to find that balance because you're not writing a novel. It's way too yeah. long. It's way too descriptive. It's way too and, and it's hard for them to understand. Like, bah, but I want people to feel the room, and I say they will feel it. I believe, believe me, they will feel it. But you cannot spend half of a page just describing me that room. Right, and then you have to get to into the scene what's the scene about you know mm-hmm. you're you're in it and once you know david mamet has a line you know once the character either gets or doesn't get what they want time for a new scene mm-hmm. pivot move mm-hmm. you know the biggest thing is is if you see a scene i'll tell you well a couple things a couple big hints students mm-hmm. <laughs> if your dialogue looks like this on a on a page that's this big and you got this much dialogue, you got a character speaking a block of dialogue, big, big, big red flag, mm-hmm. huge, mm-hmm. huge. Um, you know, on the wire, we used to say the greatest line of dialogue was let's go, which is the end of the wild bunch. Now that's not a great line on its own, but contextually speaking, right. it's a fantastic line because it means everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the other thing is, is if you have a scene that's going more than, I'm going to be kind here, definitely true in TV. If you have a scene that's more than two to two and a half pages, it's a warning sign. I'm not saying you can't do it. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it's a, I've written 10 page scenes, but it's a big warning sign. Are you telling the story? Is the story progressing? Is it moving forward? Right. Or are you going to lose the person holding the remote control in their hands to your self-indulgence? I agree with you. And and again, I think the the, the point is that I call it real estate. I say it's so valuable. You have, you need to justify all your scenes. If I ask yes. you, why is that scene there for? And suddenly you say, well, I don't know. I just like the, you know, the idea of the, the garden and walking in the garden. I say, but, but if that thing is not there to move your plot and your story, you're wasting that that space, which is yep. very, very important. Yeah, and, like you said, real estate, yeah. Yeah, and also, again, I, I think... I'm very curious to see, of course, uh, Blackbird, which is one of my favorite favorite TV shows now. I finished it in like a day. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> stop. You. I couldn't Thank stop uh, watching it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a translation from the novel. How, well, how... it's not a novel. It was a nonfiction. It was a memoir. Right, a memoir. So how how easy or difficult, I guess, is to transcribe that those concepts into a script? Uh, uh, a script because also you have Mister River, Mystic River, which was also a huge success, uh, and it's a translation of you know a book into these yep. uh, concepts. So how easy is it to do that? Well. But I'll give you a perfect example. I wasn't ready to write the script of Mystic River. Clint Eastwood asked me first, and I, w- I didn't know how to do it. I wasn't the guy. I told him, I'm not the guy. Let's go find somebody who's really good at adaptation. And we went and we found Brian Helgeland based on LA Confidential, which is one of the great adaptations. Mm-hmm. And so Brian did something that taught me so much, so much, in uh, because I, I looked at the first uh, 40 pages of Mystic River, which is the 1975 sequence when mm-hmm. they're little boys it's the most beautiful writing i've ever done hands down still to this day and i said how would i translate that to screen and i i was like oh i just think i'd be meandering around i'd be telling the whole story brian figured out there was this one little thing about that that the boys in the book are writing their name in cement and then they run off and they do some other things and then the police car comes down the street brian kept it at the moment where they were writing their names in cement Police show up, the fake police, get one of the boys in the car, drive off. His name is left unfinished. And the camera holds on it. Mm. And it's actually the very last thing you'll see in the film as well. The camera holds on it. His life from that moment is truncated. It's There's an amputation that is mm. performed. That's great screenwriting. He did it all with an image. I had, mm. I had 40 pages of... of Yak, 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 yak. And it's the best writing I've ever done for a novel, but it doesn't work in a film. Right. And and that's great screenwriting. And you understand. I'll give you I'll give you an example of something that was like, wow, I, I, I know what the hell I'm doing here. There's a scene in Blackbird where Greg Kinnear's character is having a conversation early in the fir- it's in the first episode. He's having a conversation with somebody about um, trying to put together this issue of these missing girls in this van and these dead girls in this van. And he notices that his window 
isn't opening correctly. Mm-hmm. And so he gets some WD-40 and he gets toolkit. And as he's having the conversation, he fixes the window. Yes. The point of that scene was because I knew I had very limited real estate to tell you who this guy was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used a third tier. He's a third or fourth uh, tier character. It's like one, two, three, four. He'd be like D, mm-hmm. A, B, C, D. So I had limited real estate. I told you in that one scene exactly who he is. He's mm-hmm. methodical. Mm-hmm. He's dogged. He's precise. He's going to get the job done. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what you got. And I mm-hmm. did it visually. I didn't do it through somebody saying, well, you know what I like about Brian? Correct. Uh, you know, you just show it. Correct. So that's showing is, they say show, show, you know, show versus tell. It's, it's triply important in screenwriting. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's better to don't even use words. Uh, actions can speak louder than words in some way, way, way louder. Yeah. You know, particularly on screen, what you're watching says, you know, yeah, and in black, in Blackbird, uh, which again, uh, you know, is playing now, uh, uh, and is a phenomenal uh, story, is based in a real, uh, you know, real, uh, yeah, case. Uh, how much research, and not only with this story. I mean, any any of the books that you write, any of the books that become TV shows or films for TV or for or for a bigger audience in the movie, how much research is important in your process of, of writing? I I feel like, um, in that case, I read the memoir. I had some conversations with the real Jimmy King. And then I decided, I, there's a moment where I always say, I'll take it from here. And, and you know, Jimmy, I, I know that would have been a very difficult thing for me. It, Jimmy had a hard time with it, for sure, because I was taking his life and I was saying that, you know, I'm, I'm telling a story here. Mm-hmm. I'm not a reporter, you know, so I'm trying to tell a story. And the story, the entree into the story for me was I want to tell a story about male gaze, objectification, uh, the place where objectification turns into misogyny. I wanted to... I wanted to tell that story. Now, it's not the story of the memoir. It's not in the memoir, mm-hmm. but it's a story I wanted to tell. So there's a point where you got to say, look, if, if it if the facts get in the way of the emotional truth you're driving after, tell the emotional truth. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the mm-hmm. bottom line. We're storytellers, you know, and I'm, you know, I know that William Wallace and Edward Longshanks didn't die on the same day, but it, I don't think they even died in the same year, but it sure works at the end of Braveheart when they both mm-hmm. died at the same time. You know what I mean? Like it's right, right, cares? right. Who cares? Um, so you're what you're trying to do, what I was trying to do, and what I my law for this was, I would never have any character do or say something that was a betrayal of their essence as a person. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy never did anything that was a betrayal of his essence as the real James King. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gary, the real names, the, the guy's real name was Gary Miller. I wrote him as Brian Miller. Brian Miller, I, I took as I came across one thing, which was that he had been a bomb diffuser. He had been a bomb diffuser in the first, uh, no, in um, Vietnam. I thought, okay, mm-hmm. that's a guy with impeccable control of himself. Right. And that's how Greg and I talked about it all the time. 
mm-hmm. you know, Greg Kinnear who played the part, mm-hmm. was he hates Larry Hall, but it'll <laughs> never show. It'll never show. Well, that's you know? part of acting, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So. And, and, and um, casting, I, because in this specific show, um, not only, of course, you you are behind the, the co-creation of the show and the writing and the uh, uh, you are also our, our executive producer. On, yeah, I was a showrunner. Right, yeah. a showrunner, yeah. which I want to to go a little for for those who are listening. I, I think it's always very interesting because, you know, we talk with writers and set designers and we talk about uh, production design and makeup. and But you always see executive producer or showrunner. Can you describe in the case of Blackbird, but in general, how would you describe what is the job of a showrunner? What, what was your job behind Blackbird, but in general, what is the concept of a showrunner? So people that are listening can understand that concept. I mean, it's very similar to a novelist. I mean, you're running it from the ground up. You create it, you write most of the scripts. If you don't write the scripts, they go through your filter anyway, you know, which is just how I was trained. You know, I wrote, well, I was credited with writing things on the wire that I didn't write. They went through the filter of David Simon and Ed Burns. Mm-hmm. Um, so you then are, you pitch it, you sell it to a studio. And then if you're lucky, when I was very lucky with Apple, they gave me free reign. Mm. You know, they just said, you know, you cast it. You know, they literally let me cast the show. And it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. I, that was probably my favorite aspect of the show that surprised me was how much I loved casting. Um, and you're hiring everybody. You, you hire almost, you hire all the department heads mm-hmm. and, and then you're working with those department heads. Fantastic. Well, Dennis, I want to thank you again for, for your time, my uh, for, for your love for writing. Thanks for all the writing that you do uh, and give us the pleasure to watch some of your stories. Uh, and uh, yeah, we keep in touch and please be safe, but thank you for being here in my basement. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Take care, Francisco. Take care. We'll talk right. soon. Have a good okay. one.